Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to the Story Church Podcast. Our podcast features audio from Sunday mornings at Story Church in Peru, Indiana, a community on the mission of connecting people's story to God's story. If you'd like to connect with us further, check out storyperu.com. Our hope is that today's episode helps you take your next step on your faith journey. Today we're kicking off a brand new series, and uh, I'm going to warn you out of the gate that today what I'm going to do specifically is I'm going to raise a problem, and I am not going to give you a solution. Okay, so I'm going I'm to raise a problem uh, in about 30 minutes or so, and uh, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but most of life's problems actually can't be solved in like 30 to 35 minutes of just listening, right? Like, I'm sorry, if I could do it for you, I would. Uh, But what I'm going to do today, I'm going to raise this problem. I'm going to raise some issues connected with this problem. And uh, you might feel at the end of our time together today that you're just really frustrated. And if so, I feel like I've done my job well. Okay, that's what we're doing today. We're just going to kind of stir the pot a little bit and really set the context for what we're doing over these next few weeks together. And to start, I want to ask you a question that you might not expect a pastor or a Christian on a Sunday morning to ask uh, from a stage. You ready for it? Okay, I want to start by asking this question. Do you ever feel like Christianity isn't working? Like, like have you ever had that feeling or that thought? Do you ever feel like the way that you're serving Jesus and trying to follow Jesus and trying to love God and trust God isn't working out the way that you thought maybe it would? Like, like, I wonder how many of you, if you were really honest, uh, even those of you I was just bragging on, those of you who are super involved around here and who are showing up to everything that we've thrown at you this summer and you're engaging in everything, like, have you ever been honest enough to admit that at times you might get a little, like, burnt out and tired of, like, all the activity wrapped up in church, all the busyness of church? I mean, again, I'm the guy, like, steering the ship here, but it can easily feel like, go to this program and go to that program, and it's like, Sunday announcements just get longer and longer and longer, right? And it's like, do this, serve there, give here, and it can just feel overwhelming. And maybe, maybe it's not church. Maybe for you, you're just in a spot where you've wondered like, God, why aren't you answering my prayers? Right? I'm praying earnestly. I'm trying to be faithful. I'm trying to be a good Christian. But like, why aren't you answering my prayers when you answered the prayers of so many other people, it seems like? Or, or maybe you found yourself asking the question like, like, why does it seem like things still are going wrong in my life if I'm showing up and I'm trying to do the right thing? Like, has it ever felt like Christianity wasn't working for you? I think there's all kinds of stories and all kinds of scenarios and all kinds of examples where this can happen in our lives. It could show up in any number of different ways. Maybe it was a young boy who grew up going to church with his family, right? And he was in Sunday school, remember that back in the day, and had the flannel graph up there, and he drew the best David and Goliath that he could ever draw, and like did all the programs, and then eventually he was in the youth group, and and he had his first kiss in the back of the van on the youth group trip, right? Because he's like, I I love Jesus and you, right? And so like maybe that was it, and uh, he was really plugged in, really trying to do things right, and then he would go home, And the message he saw his parents living out was inconsistent with the message he was hearing on Sundays. And it just seemed like there was all this conflict and and dysfunction maybe in their relationship. And maybe even it led eventually to their relationship falling apart and a divorce. And, And that boy or that young man at the time, like maybe he prayed and he prayed and he's like, God, fix it, God, fix it. And he didn't. And he was left wondering, like, does this thing even work? Uh, maybe it's a couple that, that does things right, right? They show up here, they've attended for a while, they're like, hey, I'm going to serve, I'm going to be a part of it. They're reading the Bible together, they're doing their thing, right? And then one of them loses their job one day, and, and it's a significant loss that puts a strain on their relationship, and they're wondering, like, God, wh- what's going on, right? Doesn't this thing work? Because I think I've been doing 
all the right things. It might not even be so dramatic for you, right? Like maybe for you, I'm guessing for many of us it's not. Like you go to church, maybe you've signed up for a Bible plan before on like your Bible app and you've, you've read it a couple of times and you listen to K-Love like when you're driving to work or wherever you're going, right? And uh, maybe you've got a story church sticker on the back of your van and that's awesome, like you're doing your thing and you've got a decent job and you've got a decent place to live and a decent car and decent friends. You might get to go on a decent vacation in the summer and it's all fine, right? But if you're honest, you're not really happy or not really fulfilled in the way that it seems like life should be fulfilling. And maybe if you've started to ask yourself this question at any point, like does Christianity really work? Uh, maybe you've found yourself asking the question, is there a better way? Right? Is there a different way that I'm supposed to be living or a different way that I'm supposed to be doing this thing? Uh, to be honest, one of my biggest fears for us here at Story is that we might unintentionally settle for less than God's best for our church. That we might unintentionally like, get in the rhythm of doing church and forget what it means for us to really be church. And uh, there's a quote that kind of rattles around in my brain a lot as it relates to where we are and where we're going. And a lot of people have said it. It's one of those quotes like Abraham Lincoln said, you can't believe every quote on the internet, right? So, uh, but I know this guy said it one time. His name's Howard G. Hendricks. He was a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. And one time he told his graduates uh, this phrase. He said, my great concern for you in life is not that you will fail, but that you'll succeed in doing the wrong things. Right? Like the great concern for many of our lives, it's not so much that we'll go like crazy off the rails and we'll fail in any significant way, but for many of us, it can be easy to succeed at lesser things, right? To give up the great thing that God wants for us just for the good stuff that's around us in life and to kind of settle. And we can do that as a church, right? Again, we put a lot of effort into what we do here on Sundays. The programs are cool, the lights are fun, right? Music hopefully is tolerable, all that stuff. Like we try and create a great experience. Uh, we're in the process of renovating a building, right? That's exciting and that's a cool thing. Uh, we hope to add staff uh, to our team over the next couple of years, that's all exciting. And there's all this activity, right, that can come with church. But it's not the point. It's actually a lesser thing and there can be this real danger where we get in the business of like showing up on Sundays and making the Sunday thing happen but we don't actually dig in deeper, that we actually miss the better way that's possible for us. And maybe you've found that to be true for you, right? You've had a church experience, whether it's here or somewhere else, that you filled the seat, and then over time, it's like nothing's really happening, right? There's nothing deeper going on under the surface. If you've ever been there, and you've ever wondered, is there a better way, the next three weeks, I hope you walk away convinced with a resounding yes, there is a better way than us just going through the motions or us just filling our schedule with activity and us just busying ourselves with religious activity. And if you're here and you're in a season where you're hurting or you're overwhelmed or confused or discouraged, I hope that this series and this conversation we have over the next few weeks can show you that there is a better way forward, that there's a better way that we can live than what we often see modeled in our world. And isn't it true that the way that you do something matters? Like the way that you go about doing something really, really matters. I think of this every May uh, when my grandpa has bought us tickets to go to the Indy 500 for years and years. So my family generally goes. And uh, I, a lot of times when I go, if I'm down there, I'm walking and there's a big crowd, right, going into the speedway. And almost every time there's some guys on the street corner, I'm sure well-intentioned, probably Jesus-loving guys, but they've got megaphones and they've got like big signs of the Bible and they're always yelling at people. They're always just angry, like indiscriminately angry Christians. As you're walking into the stadium, they're just like, you sinner, right? This is the payment for your sin. You're going to, I'm like, I'm a pastor, right? Like, 
we're, I think, on the same team, but this guy is just yelling and yelling and yelling, and I'm sure they have good intentions, right? I'm sure at some level, sometimes this even happens around this community. People show up and they're like, turn or burn, right? And, like, they have good intentions. They want people to be saved. That's a good thing, but the way you do something matters. Uh, if you're dating or you're married to someone, the way you do something matters, right? You can say, like, you're wearing that, or you can say, you're wearing that, right? That, that's different. One's like this, one's like, right? So, like, there's different options of how we handle stuff. We've talked about this in our last series. Like when you're parenting your child, the way you discipline your child, the way you do it matters. The weight of your words matters. I was even thinking this as it relates to like physical activity, like exercise. If you've ever gone to a gym and maybe you're like me and you're not super experienced or super comfortable around a gym, the way you do it matters. You can actually exercise and try and do the right thing in a way that hurts you if you pull something or you don't do your exercise with good form. Like I was playing drums today, I'm not actually a drummer. So it's very possible if I kept playing drums the way that I play drums, over time it will wear me down because I have bad technique. The way you do something matters, that's the point. And uh, Jesus one time talked about the way that his followers should go. He actually explained to them what they should do and how they should live their lives. And it happens in this really interesting exchange. Uh, it's towards the end of Jesus's earthly ministry. It's right near the end of Jesus's life, and he gathers his followers together, he washes their feet, and then he starts explaining to them some of the things that are going to happen to him in the next few days. He talks about how he's gonna be betrayed by one of them, and they're like, no way, Jesus, it could never happen. Uh, he talks about how Peter is actually going to deny him. He's gonna deny that he ever even knew him. He, knew him. he talks about how he's gonna give up his life, and then Jesus says this next, uh, basically to reassure the guys. He says, hey, it's okay, like, do not let your hearts be troubled, you believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms, and if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. So again, he says all this like not so good stuff, right? You're gonna betray me, you're gonna deny me, I'm gonna be arrested, I'm gonna die. And they're like, what? Like, we're just having a meal here. Thanks for the foot wash. But like, what is all this bad news? And, and Jesus is reassuring them. He's like, don't be troubled because you're going to go where I go, right? You're going to go where I go. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And Jesus goes on. He says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. And then Thomas says to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And then Jesus answered a famous line that's often quoted. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus says, like, like, you know the way to where I'm going. And have you ever been like at work where your boss says something and like maybe you're with your team there at, at the office and nobody knows what the boss is talking about, but generally they're not like brave enough to actually speak up. And then one guy is like, hey, uh, we have no idea what you're saying. That's Thomas in this situation. Okay, Jesus is like, you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas goes, nope. We do not know the way, Jesus. We don't even know where you're going. And so I love that Thomas is brave enough to say that. And then Jesus says, I am the way, and I'm the truth, and I'm the life. And something that I've observed about how I think many of us tend to function in our faith, in the church, and in Christianity, is that we often talk about the truth of Jesus, but we very rarely talk about the way of Jesus. Right? It can be really tempting to equate faith in Jesus to believing the right things, like just thinking the right things and agreeing with the truth and speaking the truth and sharing the truth. But we often don't talk 
about the way of Jesus and the life of Jesus that modeled the way of Jesus. And in one sense, what Jesus is saying here is what we often talk about and teach about, that Jesus is the only way back to God. And that's one way that we talk about it. But I also believe that living in the way that Jesus lived is a reflection of the truth that Jesus taught. In other words, it's not enough for us to just go the way of agreeing with Jesus and hearing the truth and trying to speak the truth. We actually have to live in the same way that Jesus lived. That living the way that Jesus lived is a reflection of the truth that Jesus taught. And we often talk about the truth of what he said, but we overlook the way that he lived. And just as like a pop quiz today, we've talked about this before, but if you don't remember, it's okay. Uh, but do you know what the first century Christians were actually called back in the day? Like when the movement was starting and, and the Roman Empire kind of caught on to this weird cult and they were like, what is going on here? Uh, the first century Christians in the book of Acts, there's this phrase that's used to describe the earliest followers of Jesus. And they were not called Christians. Okay, they weren't called religious people or Bible thumpers or holy rollers or Jesus freaks or anything like that. What they were called, this group of spirit-filled, Jesus-loving, like humble world changers, according to the book of Acts, they were known initially as people of the way. People of the way. They were known as people who lived in a different way than everyone else. And that's kind of the name that they first adopted. And isn't that fascinating? Because when the Roman Empire looked at this weird group of people, uh, what they noticed is that this group of people wasn't just wrapped up in having the right theology, and they weren't just wrapped up in having moral superiority, although those things matter, right? The truth matters and living wisely matters. But their goal ultimately was to live and to love in the way that Jesus did, in the same way that Jesus did. They became known as people of this different way. And actually, if you think uh, for a moment, about the way that Jesus lived. Like if you ever read through one of the gospels, which are the accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's found right in the middle of the Bible. And if you look at those accounts of Jesus' life, and again, you don't just look for the truth of what he taught, but you look at the way that he lived. And then if you stopped and like compared the way that Jesus lived with the way that most of us live, uh, for most of us, you'll find there's actually a very, very, very big difference between the way that Jesus lived and the way that we live. And I don't just mean like it was the first century and he didn't drive a Lexus or have an iPhone or anything like that. Like, even if you make all things equal, right? Just the way that Jesus lived uh, was dramatically different than the way that many of us live. Like, think about it. When Jesus interacted with people, he was full of joy. And for most of us, like what's the knee-jerk reaction if I go, hey, how are you doing? It's a Monday. Like, how are you doing today? Busy, right? That, that's like all of our knee-jerk, oh, busy. We interact with people, we're stressed and we're anxious and we're hurried to get to the next thing. And like, you didn't see Jesus going around in the first century like, oh my gosh, the economy's terrible, right? We gotta get the right people in the Roman Senate. We gotta get the right leaders in place. The world's going crazy right now. He didn't worry. And he actually told us not to worry as well. Like God's already there in the future. God's already got tomorrow. So you don't have to worry about tomorrow. And yet most of us, we're freaking out all the time, right? <laughs> like we're anxious and we're stressed out. And some people actually say that we are currently the most anxious generation in the history of our world, that we are the most anxious people who have ever lived on the earth. Uh, Jesus, as he walked along, if he saw somebody in need, he would stop and he would interact with them and he had time for them and spent time with them. I don't know about you, but for me, like half the time, I'm like, I don't got time for that. <laughs> I got to get to the next thing. I gotta, I've got meetings to go to, or I've got tasks to get done. I got to get the kids there. And, like, we don't live in that same kind of pace. Jesus, 
If you read through the Gospels, you'll find out that Jesus was consumed with this intimate, ongoing connection to his heavenly Father. That Jesus was constantly getting away and refueling and reconnecting with his heavenly Father. And I can't pray for like three minutes without being interrupted by a text message or thinking about my next meal, right? Like, am I the only one? Because if you're like here just polishing your halo, that's cool, you can keep it up. But I'm going to talk to all the real people here in the room, right, who have a hard time with this, whose lives look different. And like, imagine if Jesus actually lived like us and had the same values as us. Like Jesus is walking around and talking to the guy and he's like, guys, I'm tired of these dirty old sandals, right? I need some Yeezys. Then, then people will care, right? Then I'll be better. Then I'll get it together. Or he pulls out his phone and he's scrolling on Instagram and he's like, oh, JTB, John the Baptist, right? He's got, that guy's got so many more followers than me. What's going on? Right? Why is that guy so popular? He's not even worthy to tie my Yeezys. Like that, that's what Jesus would say if he was like us. Jesus would get back at the end of the day and he'd be exhausted. And like, right, I went from thing to thing to thing. It's time for a brewski and just chill out. Right? Like, Jesus didn't live like that. Jesus didn't live like that at all. Jesus' way is so different than ours. Jesus was always walking from one place to another. And I know he didn't have a car, right? But I, I mean, like, literally, there's never an account of Jesus running or Jesus hurried to get anywhere. Even on his way to the cross, Jesus would stop and he would allow himself to be interrupted. He was not hurried anywhere that he went. And meanwhile, I'm rushed everywhere, right? And you're probably rushed everywhere if you live life the way most of us live our lives. And I think in this conversation, talking about the way that we live our lives and the way that we practice our faith, I think one of the scariest realizations that many of us can have is that many of us are rushing to become someone that we don't like. Right? Many of us are just rushing through our days and going from thing to thing to thing and just trying to keep up with all of it and constantly feeling stress and constantly feeling anxiety. And then we look at what our lives look like and we're always rushed. We're always anxious. We're always pushing it. We're always short with the people who matter most. And we have this driving value that makes us say, oh, we got to get more. We got to do more. We got to be better. We got to be faster. We got to go. We got to go. We got to go, right? And I'm not immune to this. Um, in fact, this is kind of my default setting if I'm not careful. Uh, I can remember about a decade ago when I first uh, started out in ministry, my first role for a church was to be a communications director, which sounds really fancy, but basically means I did the website and I did graphic design and tried to like improve how we communicated with our congregation at the time. And it was exciting. It was a new thing for this church to have that role. So there was a lot of building that I could do. And I just kept pouring hours and hours and hours in to my job. Um, I was about a year into being married at the time. And then my job changed. And I, it, here's what happens in ministry. When your job changes, you just get a new job alongside your existing job. So it just like, keeps piling up. Uh, so I was still communications guy, but I also became what was called creative director, which also sounds fancy, but basically means I oversaw the weekend service. So there was even more work to do, right? Because there wasn't just a website, there wasn't just graphic design, but there were production teams and songs to pick and lights to figure out how to program. And again, I was just trying to improve and improve and improve. And I found myself about a year or two into my marriage, like pretty young, just a year or two out of college, I was working around the clock. And I was doing God's work, right? Like it, it, was, it was good work and we were making things better and it was exciting, but it would be two or three in the morning and I would still be running around the church, working, 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 because there's always more work to do than there was time to do it, and I was in this season where finally, thankfully, I had a wake-up call, and I'm like, what am I becoming? Right? The way that I'm doing this isn't leading me to be who I think I'm actually supposed to be. I had another season like this um, really just a couple of years ago, uh, between 2019 and 2021. Uh, it was this really hard stretch for me. Uh, I actually talked to a counselor during those days, and uh, that counselor told me, you know, it seems like God's trying to teach you how to grieve. 
And that's like, I wish God would quit it, right? But, but there are all these losses that I had back to back. And I've talked about this before. Like, my grandpa passed away. Uh, my mom had a health scare. My dog, four-year-old dog, unexpectedly passed away. Like, four-year-old dogs aren't supposed to get cancer, right? But, but it happened, and my car broke down, and our church merged with another church. I talk about grief. I'm like, everything I had been building obsessively for those years suddenly was gone and changing. And I had friends pass away, and... COVID happened, right? And it was just like, it threw off my equilibrium. And it was less like workaholism in those days, but it was still just like, when I looked in the mirror, I was like, man, what am I becoming, right? Am I becoming who I really want to be? I've, I've kind of felt this even in recent days, and I'm just, I guess, trying to be honest with you today. Uh, my daughter turns five next month, and I'm not overly okay with that, okay? It's, gone, it's going fast already. Um, but because of that, we've kind of looked back at, at some pictures recently, and you know, those early days with a little baby, and again, it was like 2018, 2019. When I look at some of those pictures, I'm like, I was sleeping less then. But if I'm honest, like, you might not see it in the pictures the way that I see it, but I'm like, I think my heart was a little lighter. Right? I don't know if there was as much weight that I was carrying then as I am now. Like, my soul, I think, was lighter, and maybe I was in some ways more content or more, more full of joy, if I'm honest with myself, or more full of peace. I was once fun if you didn't know or don't believe me. Uh, maybe more relaxed back in those days. Like, it, it was easier for me to, again, I shouldn't admit this, I guess, as a pastor, but easier for me to find time to just connect with God, to just slow down, to be present. And, and I look back on that, and like some of that's normal aging, going through life stuff, but some of it's a bit of a wake-up call for me right now because it can be so easy for us to rush and rush and rush to become somebody we never actually wanted to become. And all this reminded me of something that's true for me, but it's also true for you. As you figure out the way that you live out your faith, the truth is that the way that you do the work of God can actually destroy the work of God in you. The way that you try and like actually live out your faith, if it just becomes about more, 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 and go, 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 and do, 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 it can actually crush the work of God in you. In other words, the way that we do it matters. And maybe for you, the way that you've been doing the work of God has been destroying the work of God in you. Maybe for you, it feels like obligation. It feels like duty. It feels like pressure. And because of that, it's not actually giving you life. It's not actually filling you up. It's not actually energizing you. Or, or maybe for you, it's not the way that you're doing the work of God. Maybe it's your schedule, right? Your schedule that's just jam-packed to the brim or your pace that's destroying the intimacy that God wants to have with you. Or, or maybe it's your insecurities or your unresolved hurts or, or their distractions and deepest fears that keep you from like, noticing what God is up to in your life keep you from noticing the work that the Holy Spirit actually wants to do to strengthen you and draw you closer to God. All of us can fall into this. In fact, it's in the water culturally, this pace that we live in that's just faster and faster and faster and more and more and more all the time. And if you've ever tried to slow down from that pace, don't you know, like, it feels so counterintuitive. It feels so wrong to try to actually slow down because everything in our world is screaming to us, push harder, right? Like, grind it out, hustle, like, make it happen. That's the way to success. It's the way you get ahead. It's the way to be happy, right? It's to be a hard-driving, like, person who pushes forward and achieves stuff. Like, the world would say, like, go get it, right? Go, go flex on it. Go figure it out. That's the way that we do it. There's a, a proverb recorded in the Old Testament, this collection of wisdom, uh, that actually speaks to this dynamic. In the proverb, it's in Proverbs 14. It says, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death, 
right? There is a way that appears to be right. And, and, and we see this everywhere. We feel this everywhere, right? All that ought to that's just kind of lingering in your head, all that, man, I could do more, all that pressure. There is a way that appears to be right in our world, but in the end, you can end up becoming someone that you never wanted to be in the first place. There was a book that I read um, right around that same season. It was like late 2019, early 2020, and it's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And it's written by a pastor uh, out in Portland named John Mark Comer. But he talks about this idea of actually like paying attention to the way that we're living, paying attention to what's kind of in the water culturally as it relates to hurry and as it relates to our pace and as it relates to like our phones and the distractions that are surrounding us and just how anxious and frenetic life can tend to be. And it's a really powerful read. Uh, little did I know the world was going to shut down, right? And I would get a lot of elimination of hurry because we'd all just be sitting around trying to figure out what's happening. But I can remember reading um, that book right at the very beginning. He talks about where he got the title, the idea of the ruthless elimination of hurry. And John Mark was actually talking to a mentor of his who told a story of him talking to his mentor. And that the guy says that he had gone to his mentor, a guy named Dallas Willard. And he asked Dallas, uh, this guy was a pastor. He asked Dallas, hey, what does it look like to be spiritually healthy? Right? Like, what is the number one thing I can do to be a spiritually healthy person? And if you imagine what the answer could be, right, all of us would think it's like, go to church, pray, read your Bible, whatever, have some godly people around you, all good things. But here's what Dallas said. Dallas looked at this pastor and he said, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life. It's counterintuitive, isn't it? It sounds crazy, like I thought the devil was the great enemy of spiritual life, but no, Dallas says hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life. And for so many of us, the way we're doing it, it's broken because we're so hurried and we're so frenetic, we're just running from thing to thing to thing and we're missing out on the way of Jesus. We're missing out on the way that we're actually called to live. And if this is like hitting home with you at all, you're in good company, okay? Uh, but if it's hitting home with you at all, Again, the, this series is called A Better Way. And here's what I believe about following Jesus. I believe following Jesus actually is a better way to live. Whatever you think about the resurrection and if any of that makes sense to you and what it means for you personally, like you can kind of put that on the shelf for a second. If you just do the things that Jesus said to do and, and you model your life about, around the pace that Jesus operated at, I think it's a better way to live. I think following Jesus will make you better at life if you just lean into it. And that's why Jesus... In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus actually gave us an invitation. If you're feeling the tension, if you're feeling the frustration like I am, Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I'm gentle and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And doesn't that sound good? Like Jesus is saying, if you are here today and you are worn out and you are tired and you are burnt out and you're hurting and you're wondering, does Christianity even work, right? Is this thing even for me? Jesus says, hey, the invitation, it's not go to the pastor, it's not come to church, it's not read the Bible more, it's not pray more, it's come to me. Come to Jesus and he will give you rest. And then he says this weird thing. He says, take my yoke upon you. For, and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. And we're like, what, what is a yoke? Like egg yolks? It's not what Jesus is talking about there. Instead, a yoke uh, was actually a work tool. It was a farming tool in, in the ancient world. And an ancient yoke looked something 
like this. It, it was this wooden cross piece that you would put across two animals to help them work together so that they could accomplish more, like to pull a cart or to do some heavy lifting along the way. And the thing about a yoke is when these two animals were joined together, they had to work together at the same pace, right? They had to move together at the same speed in order to be effective at what they were doing. Jesus is looking at us and he's saying, come to me, I'll give you rest and I'm gonna give you a work tool, right? Like I'm gonna put this thing around your neck and and you're gonna like move with me. And it seems weird, right? When I'm exhausted, I want a nap. I don't really want a work tool or I want like a bubble bath and a vacation, right? Like I, I don't necessarily want a yoke put around my neck. But the point that Jesus is making is there was no single yoke, okay? There was no yoke in the ancient world that just had like one hoop for one animal. It was always two moving together, moving at the same pace. It was always about two people moving together. And so Jesus is saying, if you're worn out, if you're burnt out, if like you know that this pace isn't working, come and join me. Like be yoked to me, be tied into me, and I'll show you a better way to live, right? Listen to me and move at my pace is what Jesus is saying. If we move together, like don't be joined to your schedule or to the religious pressure that you feel to do certain things. And I know, right, we're in church today. I'm like undermining the whole system here by telling you to not worry about that. But I'm serious, like don't be tied to that pressure be joined to Jesus, and not just for his truth that we can agree with, but for his way that he lived, that he modeled, that he showed to us to live the way that Jesus lived. And maybe you're here and you're like, okay, Eric, but Jesus wasn't a single mom with two jobs, okay? And that's fair, he definitely wasn't, right? Jesus didn't have your student loan debt. That's fair, he, he did not have that. Jesus didn't work for my boss, right? Like Satan in the flesh. That, that, not mine, okay. But uh, whatever it is, like that's fair. But like Jesus had a pretty big assignment, don't you think? Like, like Jesus was like called to be perfect and save the world. And I think because of that, we can learn from him. Like Jesus who carried this lofty calling on his life, who was called to be without sin and to give us life and who loved freely and yet still found a way to disconnect from the crowds and connect with his heavenly father and had long meals with people that he loved. I have lunch in the drive-thru half the time, right? <laughs> like, or it's like, hey, do we have any popcorn left at the theater? Like, Jesus had time to have deep conversations and he stopped to listen to people who were hurting. And if you ever wake up and you think there's gotta be a better way, I'm telling you there is. There is a better way, and Jesus modeled it for us. It's not just the truth of Jesus, but it's the truth expressed in the way that Jesus lived and modeled it for us. So here's the point today. There isn't one, okay? Like, I'm not, I'm not gonna give you a quick fix to all this stuff that we just stirred up today. There's no, like, rhyming line that you're gonna get today or anything like that. In fact, I think the healthiest thing that all of us could do is just have some time here to sit in the frustration of it. Right, to have some time to like actually let ourselves feel the chaos of the way most of us live. To, to have a moment and, and to just sit in the frustration long enough to get sick of it. To sit in the frustration long enough to be like, I'm sick of the pace and I'm sick of the stress and I'm sick of the anxiety and I'm sick of the fear and I'm sick of being exhausted and I'm sick of feeling like I'm like gonna make the same promises to myself over and over again that I've made for the past seven years, right? And then just run the same play over and over again. I want us to get sick of the way that we're doing life, some of us, many of us, to be honest. And I told you, I'm not gonna solve your problems today. 
Okay, I'm just gonna like elevate them for you. In fact, I probably will not solve your problems ever, but what I wanna do just as we wrap up here today is I do wanna tell you where we're going in the next few weeks, okay? Because there is a better way. There is a different way that we can live. And I think for us today, like it starts with feeling the frustration of the way we're currently living. But there is a better way. Most of us live rushed and stressed and overwhelmed. And next week, we're gonna talk about an instruction that Jesus gave where he said to learn the unhurried rhythms of grace, right? For some of you, you're like, that doesn't even sound possible. Grace is easier to understand than unhurried, right, in our world today. Uh, but Jesus talked about the unforced or the unhurried rhythms of grace. Uh, most Jesus followers, I know most Christians today, me included in a lot of ways, uh, they're overcome by temptation. They feel far from God. They feel distant and spiritually dry. We're gonna talk about how Jesus' way modeled having unbroken fellowship or connection with his heavenly father. That Jesus actually showed us a way that we can feel constantly connected to God. That we can be constantly mindful of him, constantly prayerful of him. How we can enjoy his presence intimately with ongoing awareness. Uh, most people today, most of us are preoccupied and distracted and unfocused on all kinds of ridiculous stuff. But we're gonna to talk together about how we can actually have this uncluttered pursuit of God's mission for our lives. That there is actually a calling on all of our lives uh, to follow God first. It, it is the most significant calling any of us can carry. And it's possible to live with that as our laser focus. We can stay on task and grow to become the people that he wants us to be so we can actually do the things that he calls us to do. And most people, the third week we're gonna wrap it up here, most people I know are regretting a past that they can't change or they're anxious about a future that they can't control. And we're gonna talk on week three about how we can actually, like Jesus, learn to have undivided attention in the moment that we're presently living in. That you can actually be present here now and not racked up with regret about your past or worry about your future. And, and so if you're here and you're tired of the grind and you're tired of the stress and you are miserable and you're afraid and you're angry and you're anxious and you have too much on your plate for you to carry and too many problems to solve and too much weight and too much pain to bear, here's my point today. There's a better way. There's a better way and it's Jesus. It is the life that Jesus modeled for us, the way of life that Jesus called us to. And there's a famous verse, I'll wrap up with this, a famous verse uh, called, it's Psalm 23. It's often read in, in a couple of different settings, but for us today, I want you to like hear a specific part of it. David wrote this Psalm and he starts out and says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Right? He, he watches over me, he provides for me. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And I, I don't know if you've ever noticed, if you've heard that before, ever noticed, like he makes me lie down in green pastures. Here's what I've learned, right, through my constant wrestling with my own default mode of hurry and worry, right? Here's what I've learned. It's that you can lay down on your own or sometimes God will make you lay down, right? Like whether it's your health that suddenly, like, right, we've all had that or know people who have had that experience or your job, like the bottom drops out or whatever it may be. You can lie down, you can slow down, you can experience the presence of God, or sometimes he will make you lie down and experience the presence of God. But scripture doesn't tell us, be busy and know that I'm God. It's not written out, be rushed and know that I'm God, be hurried and anxious and overwhelmed and know that I'm God. This is quoted all the time, right? Do you know what it says? Be still. Yeah, be still and know that I'm God. Jesus says, come to me, 
and I will give you rest. And I will like yoke myself to you. And if you learn my pace and if you learn my ways, you don't have to earn it. It's a gift. And you take my yoke and you join me. You can actually do life with Jesus guiding you at Jesus's pace, in Jesus's way. And in so doing, the promise is that we might actually find rest for our souls. So what else do we do with this? Nothing. The invitation for all of us is simply to come to Jesus and to learn his way. Let me pray for you. God, I hope today that we're all a little uncomfortable. I hope we're a little disrupted because the way that so many of us live looks nothing like the way that you lived. It looks nothing like the way that you called us to live. And God, I don't say that, and and I pray that this doesn't become like some kind of shaming thing for any of us, but rather I hope that it's the kind of truth that sets us free, that we can recognize just how addicted our world is to this crazy pace and to constantly trying to carry everything on our own. And and God, for the person in the room today who, if they're honest, they're like, my Christianity looks a lot more like the pace of the world than the pace of Jesus. God, I pray that they would break that today. That they would suddenly be like, whoa, something does have to change because I'm rushing to become somebody that I don't even want to be. And God, I pray that we would learn to come to you. I mean, this week, the next seven days, give each of us moments where we really experience your presence with us, where we're really mindful of being with you, even if that's 10 minutes in the morning, right, before you wake the kids up or whatever. Like, just give us space to hear from you. Help us unhurry our lives so that we might actually hear from you and experience your presence, that we might be spiritually healthy people. And God, above and beyond all of it, help us to learn your way, to not just agree with your truth, but to live life the way that you modeled and to love the way that you modeled. God, we pray and we ask all of that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in or near the Peru, Indiana area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. To find directions, service times, and information about our environments for kids, visit us at storyperu.com.